for those of you who don't know my name, my name is Joe, or Joey, or Joseph, I respond to all three. Um, and uh, it's just a wonderful honor to be able to unpack wor- God's word with you. And we are, we are so confident as an eldership this year. We've, we've, last year we started praying for what is God saying to us as a church? What are we um, hoping that God is going to uh, show us? And what do we need to focus on? And we're just so confident that the word of God and our personal relationship with it is something that we as a church as a whole, but also you as individual members need to give your life to. It is something that, as Matt preached last week, is the authority over our lives. It is the very thing that we need to live by. It is the very thing that instructs us. It's the very thing that guides our life, and in it is the fullness of life. When, when we follow God's word, there is a purpose that comes with it that cannot be found by any worldly wisdom or any other philosophy or religion. It is followed by God's word. And when we do that, when we give ourselves to this book, it is what Matt was talking about earlier, a life that is well lived. We, we have a future element in mind and, and not just a now presence, but it shapes our now. And so this, this evening, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be in Psalm 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, we open up there. We're going to be continuing with Psalm 1. And I hope that you're expectant that when I preach that you will hear from God, not because of the vessel that is giving it, but God says when he, we gather together and when he sends out his word, um, he, his word will go out and achieve its purpose. So regardless if it's Matt's preaching or me or Mark Wood or Mark Kukumo or Bryce or whoever might be up at this pulpit at any point, that you can be assured when your hearts are receptive and ready to hear from him, that he will honor that and he will speak. And life can change. Moments, can, moments in your life can be drastically shifted around because God would speak to you. And the, the beauty is that he can take one simple message like tonight's and can speak to you individually where you're at. I don't know what you're going through, but as I look across this room, I see different people in different life stages going through different things. But yet God will honor you when you long for him and say, Lord, speak to me, and he will speak to you exactly where you're at. That's, it's a wonderful thing. And so don't switch off. I know the songs are done and it's Joe preaching, but there is ability for God to change your life radically tonight. So before we dive into Psalm 1, let us open up in a word of prayer. Father, we are just so thankful for your Holy Spirit. We're thankful that you would be with us, Holy Spirit, this evening, that you would magnify Christ among us. Oh, Lord, we, we don't want to be a church that comes and sings, lifts our hands, has uh, great music, uh, but then when the word is preached, to be stagnant. Lord, we want to be a people that hear your word and do it. And so we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would mold and shape us as your word is preached more into the image of Christ. That when we leave this building tonight, that we will know that we've met with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started off in the Sermon on the Mount and Matt, Matt preached a cracker. If you missed it, you can catch it on our, um, online on any of the podcast apps you have or on Facebook, on SoundCloud. You'll be able to find it. If you don't know where that is, speak to Shasta at the back. He uploads them so he'll be able to help you navigate your device and get that. But last week, uh, Matt started off by looking at Psalm 1 and he rightly showed us that the word blessedness, um, which we are about to read now, means the word happy. 
And so I want you to have that in mind because as we read it, we're going to hopefully see what happiness and how do we gain this happiness that he was uh, speaking about, what the psalmist is talking about. Let's read. It says this, Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or the sinners in the, congreg- uh, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So as I was saying, this word means happy. This word blessed means happy. And as I was uh, pondering over the sermon and thinking through it this week and thinking through the psalm, I started to realize that this word happy that the psalmist is speaking about is probably different to what we might associate with the word happy. When we use the word happy, we use it pretty much for absolutely everything. How many of you uh, are happy that Super Rugby started this weekend, right? A lot of hands going up. Happiness. Happiness sitting down in front of a TV and being able to watch your favorite sports team with a cold drink and some biltong. Happiness is uh, when, if you've got, those of you who got kids, your kids are playing outside, having fun, and there's laughter, but you inside enjoying a piece of quiet. That's happiness. Happiness is getting a promotion. Happiness is getting a new car. Happiness it can be from something as great and profound as finding that person that you love and you know this is the one, but it can also be as so simple as your favorite series released a new season. Happiness is a variety of different things, but as we look at that happiness, every single one of those things are temporal. They come, they go, they're, they're there for a moment and they're gone, but the happiness that is being spoken about here in the psalm is a happiness that is lasting. It's a happiness that is stable. It's a happiness that is not dependent on your circumstances. It's not dependent on anything else other than God and His Word. And therefore, it is something that is lasting and something that satisfies us. The way the things that we get happy about, we're happy about the fact that Super Rugby has started and you sit down in front of your sports team and what happens is they lose, like the Bulls did this weekend. So I'm upset. Happiness was there and then it's gone. Happiness is there when the Bulltong's there, but when it's finished, it's done. Unhappy, sad face. Happiness is there when you get a new car, but inevitably what's going to happen is going to break down at some point, and there's going to be a part that's super expensive, and then no longer going to be happy about it. Happiness is getting the promotion, but when you get the promotion, it's all great because you've got more money, but now it means more work and more weekends. Happiness is finding that uh, spouse, that person, but those of you who marry will know that those, they, are high, they are highs, but they are certainly lows. Happiness is that new series coming, our season coming out, but they kill your favorite character often and it sucks. But what the psalmist is talking about here is a happiness that lasts. And so if we wanted to grasp a little bit more what this blessed happiness looks like, we can do a quick survey of the psalms and, and we see this word blessed used in other ways and we can start to grasp what it means. Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 says, blessed is the one Blessed happiness is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Have you ever felt the burden of shame and guilt? It's heavy, right? 
I, I just be honest here, when I've done things that are wrong, man, that shame and that guilt that is upon you is something that weighs you down, it consumes your mind, it is something that you lack peace about. But once you receive forgiveness, and if you've ever had that wonderful experience of having that shame and guilt removed, oh man, there is this happiness that comes. This peace, this joy that, oh, it is, it's forgiven. And, and so happiness is having that with God when he has removed that shame and guilt that you carry. Man, we see it again in, in Psalm 34, uh, verse 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed happiness is the man who takes refuge in him. That we can even taste and see the goodness of God when, when we are taking refuge in him. So even in the midst of trial and suffering and when things are bad and you're being afflicted and things are awful and you're going through hardship, even in those moments as you take refuge in God, you're able to taste and see his goodness over your life. That is blessed happiness. We see it again in Psalm 65 verse 4. It's um, 65 verse 4. It says, blessed, and this will be the last one we look at. Blessed happiness is the one uh, you choose to bring near to dwell in your courts we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple when God draws us near to him there's a satisfaction that comes that is not temporal it is lasting it is different from the things like your series ending or your sports team losing or getting that promotion while it might bring you happiness for a moment it is fleeting where what the psalmist promises is something that is lasting so how, how do we gain such happiness? Well, Psalm 1 uh, tells us how we get such awesome, awesome happiness. Let's read verse 1 again. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the sea of scoffers. And so he starts off here by telling us what the blessed man doesn't do. He talks in, in the negative. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of sinners, nor sits in, sorry, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so here he gives us this list of sins. And if you've studied the psalm before, if you've heard it being preached on, or if you've read a commentary on it, they will happily point out to you that there's a clear progression of sin that takes place there. Do you notice that the man is first walking, and then he is standing, and then he is seated? There is a clear progression of getting worse to worse. So that the fact that he's seated and scoffing, and in this case it would be God and his righteous. And so there's a clear warning at the very top of this that we as believers and those who are followers of Christ that you must watch out that when you start to dabble in sin, it's not long that you'll be walking just in the counsel of the wicked, but it won't be long and you'll slowly fall down this ladder. Well, it won't be long, that made no sense, but you'll quickly fall down this ladder and you will be in a place where uh, you are scoffing at, to that point. And so there's this caution here that we must watch out when we dabble with sin. Uh, but what we often do, and I know maybe I'm just speaking for my own self here, when I first initially read this years ago, I went, well, okay, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a scoffer. I don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Um, I, I don't think I stand in the way of sinners, but I'm pretty much at the place now and again where I take the counsel of the wicked now and again. And so there's this kind of odd sense of pride in me that I wasn't as bad as I potentially could be. And I'm not as bad as that guy and that guy and that guy who's in the seating and the standing. And, and, and that's not what the psalmist is trying to gain from us here. What is the psalmist trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us with, with, regardless of whether you are standing, walking, or seated, 
If you partake in sin, you are forfeiting joy. If you dive into the ways of this world rather than diving into the ways of God, you will forfeit joy. And, it's, and I, what's important here is it's not just let's not do these things in order to maintain joy, but let's not do these things in order to gain it. Do you want to gain this blessed happiness? You need to not be a man or woman who walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits, stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's in not doing those things, you are able to gain this blessed joy in which we all long for. So how do we get there? Well, the, one of the Psalms that I read earlier kind of gives us a starting point. We see it in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. If we are to be in this blessed state, this blessed happiness state, we ought to have our sins forgiven. You, you need to have your sins forgiven in order to be able to gain this blessed happiness that is spoken about you. And how does it happen? My friend, it only comes through Jesus. Jesus is the only way in which, one, you can be set free, like we sung tonight. Set free from the bondage and the slavery of sin, the, the chains of sin in your life. It's only through Christ that you can be set free from that. But also it is only through Jesus that you can get to a point where you no longer live a, a, a life that is sinful, but a life that is righteous. Only through Christ. We see this in 1 Peter 2 verse 24. It says, talking about Jesus here, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. And here it is, that we uh, might die to sin and live to righteousness. And so it is through Christ alone that we can get to a point where our sin can be forgiven and it no longer has a hold to us, on us anymore because we've died to it, but also that he, through the cross of Jesus and through his death and resurrection, we now have the power with the help of the Holy Spirit to live a righteous life. And so to be able to gain what Psalm 1 is talking about, man, I have to say it, it is only for those who are in Christ. This happiness cannot be found anywhere else. No philosophy, no book, no guru can give you this happiness. It can only be found in Jesus Christ and his word. We see it again in Titus 2 verses 24, it talks about how God has purified himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It can only be found in Christ and only be found in his word. And this brings us to verse 2. Because if you've been forgiven, and those of you who here would profess to be Christians, you would happily acknowledge, well, I hope you would, because I certainly will, is that even though you have been forgiven, even though you have died to sin, you still struggle with it, right? Can I get an amen there? Yeah. We still struggle with sin. So how then do we prevent ourselves from falling into it? Well, Psalm 119 verse 9 gives us a bit of indication where it says, how does a young man guard his way? How does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. If we are to guard against sin, it has to be by according to God's word. And we see this again in, in verse 2. Let us read it. It says yes. It talks now about this blessed man in a positive light. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
what this verse shows us, and this is important, that this blessed man is not someone who has found something new to do. He stopped doing the old stuff and now he's doing the new stuff. But rather, that this blessed man has found something new to delight in. Let me say that again. It's not, this blessed man is not someone who's found something new to do as much as it is some, he has found something new to delight in. And what does he delight in? Well, let's, before we get back to that word delight, he, he delights in the law of the Lord. Now, most of us, if you've grown up in uh, church, might have a bit of a strange feeling towards this idea of the law of the Lord because it's the commandments and it shows how bad we are and a whole bunch of stuff. And you, you might feel it's distant and it makes you feel uneasy. I don't think the psalmist, when he wrote this, had those feelings at all towards it. In fact, most people will tell you that the word law here can be translated instruction. It certainly includes the commands of God, but it encapsulates every other aspect of God's word. It encapsulates all of this. It includes his promises. It includes his commands. It includes his guidance, his descriptions of reality, his descriptions of God. It includes every part. And so a blessed man is the one who delights in every single part of God's word. So let's go back to this word delight. Why does he choose the word delight? It's a bit odd. If you, you see, because delight is quite a profound experience. Um, it is something that is incredible to go through. But he's gone from an outward activity of walking to standing to seated. And all of a sudden, he goes to an emotion. Why has he gone from, because surely it would be just be easier to say, blessed is the man who uh, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but rather is one who walks in the counsel of God, who stands in the way of the righteous, or sits in the seat of worshipers. He, he could have easily done that. Why does he go to delight? Because he wants us to realize that the activity of doing those things, the outward activity, he wants us to move from that outward activity to the root behind it. What is the cause of it? Maybe let me put it this way. He's saying, what you delight in, you do. What you delight in, you do. So the stuff you end up doing is what you delight in. And if you delight in sin, you end up sinning. But if you delight in the word of God, which is in this case, happens to be that, then he ends up doing the things of God's word rather than sin. And so... What we need to be doing is being a people who delight in the word of God. And what does that lead to? Well, it continues to show us in verse 2. Let us carry on reading. It says, And on his law he meditates day and night. And on his law he meditates day and night. When we delight in God's word, a result of it is that we start to meditate on the word of God. Now, in 2020, we might have a different understanding to what meditate was back and compared to what they thought it was. Meditation, um, we might have the idea of someone, you have to clear your mind, get a bit of a hum going, think of the stars and Mother Nature and the, the butterflies and all that kind of jazz, get good feelings. That, that's not what the psalmist is talking about. Instead of clearing one's mind, it's filling it. It's filling it with the Word of God. And that's what he means by meditate. But before we can get to meditate, there are a couple of processes that need to happen that the, that the psalmist just assumes that the blessed man is doing. He assumes that you are spending time in God's word. 
Because you can't meditate upon something you have not read or heard. In order for you to get to a point where you are meditating day and night, you have to be spending time reading God's Word. And, and for the last month, man, we have had sermons and we've been punting at either a point or a whole sermon on it, in, in encouraging you to do so. How are you doing? Have you taken up that mantle yet? Have you taken up the challenge and going, man, I am going to dedicate myself to this? Because in order to get to a point where you can have blessed happiness that is satisfying regardless of your circumstances, you have to start by being in this word. How are you going? Man, if you've had coffee with me, if I've taken you out for coffee, most of the time one of the questions I ask is, um, how's your quiet time going? How's it doing? And guys vary in answers. Some guys are going well, doing well, and they explain to me. Some say, Joe, not so great. And if that's the case, I get your phone out. I download an app, and I say, let's start reading. There's plans on them. And there's, there's plans that tell you what to read. You don't even have to think about it. And you can make sure that you've read the whole New Testament in one year with the Psalms and Proverbs added on to that. It is simple and easy. We have no excuse. And if you want to figure out how to do that, I can show you uh, after the service. Come to me. But there's, it even goes further than that in the psalm. It's not only just how well are you doing in reading your Bible, but there's this assumption that you're probably meditating, uh, memorizing it as well. You've got to realize that in the Old Testament, when the psalm was written, and even in Jesus' day, uh, people didn't have Bibles. There was no printing press. They weren't readily available. The scribes had to literally write it out by hand, and they were expensive and rare. And so the average Joe had to go around... I didn't even try that time. Man. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. You can stay around. Uh, the average guy or person, the average Jew, <laughs> they would have to memorize. That's how it happened. They would, they would have to go to this, the temple. They would have to have heard it read out or if they were able to get their hands on it to read it and memorize it and go away. And that's where they had it. It was embedded in their hearts. They didn't have apps like we do and they didn't have it all available, Bibles that they could just carry around. They had to memorize it in order to do it. And I, and I, I suspect like 20, 30 years ago, and I know this, that churches, man, Sunday school, that's what you did. <laughs> You memorize. And that was the church that you memorize. And everyone could repeat after each other. And I think that's a lost art that has happened. But in order for us to be able to meditate well during driving or during the history that the teacher's boring in, during work that's just mundane and the things that you do, <laughs> not you, Byron. Uh, <laughs> you're interesting. Um, that the... the in those moments, in order to be able to do it, you're going to have to have memorized it. And so the challenge is, man, start. Pick it up. Start memorizing it so that you might be able to, to do this thing. So what does this whole idea of meditation mean? What does it look like? Well, the word literally means to whisper or low repetition, um, a murmur, a bit of a hum, and so if you had to walk into a room with someone doing it, maybe they're a bit of an external processor and they're just chatting away. 
It's, it's posing questions. It's memorizing it and repeating it over in your mind, going through it and going, well, what does this mean? How does it apply? Well, if it means this, does not mean this. How does it apply to me? God, what does it say about you? What are you saying I should do? It's asking and posing questions to it. It's praying about it. It's, it's really thinking it through. But what this happens and what this results in is that it results in delights. Well, firstly, delight leads to you doing it, but the opposite can be true as well. That if you lack delight, if, if this word is dry to you at the moment, if it's boring, if it's hard, if it's, do, maybe get out of Leviticus and Exodus and those places and go to the New Testament, but, but after that, what you need to do is you need to make sure that you um, meditate upon it. If you are wanting to rekindle joy and delight in this, the opposite is true. You can rekindle it by meditation upon it. So give that a go. Give it, give it a month. Start doing it every day and just do it. I, and I promise you, you'll find some delight that starts to happen in this word. It gives us delight. But also, it helps us to avoid verse 1. Because instead of finding counsel in the wicked, we can come to God's word and find counsel. Man, this book is full of advice. It's full of values and instructions. And it helps us live. God has given us this perfect word so that we might live a life for his glory and righteousness. And, and if you're struggling with your marriage, man, there's, there's, there's stuff in this book. You're struggling with your folks, your parents. They, they're, giving you, they're driving you mad. There's stuff in this book. You're struggling to figure out what you need to do next year, and you're struggling where you need to go. You're struggling with advice around friends. You're struggling with life in general. Man, this is where it is. You're suffering. This is where you need to come. Struggling with business. This is where you need to come. This, This book gives us the counsel, and so if we are constantly figuring these things out and pondering and asking and posing questions, we don't have to run to the wicked or others, but rather we can run to God's word first. But also it stops us from being in a place where, man, we end up in standing in the way of sinners. In other words, living a sinful life, being a sinner in our actions and our attitude and our life. Because what this word does through the power of the Holy Spirit, he uses it to shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. He changes your character. He knocks on this and says, Joe, your patience is awful. You need to deal with it. Joe, your anger. Joe, your, your frustrations here. Joe, you're dealing with this person. Joe, your, um, your lack of kindness. Joe, man, he, he's just, your name's not Joe, so fill in your name. But he starts to do that. And he changes your character. But not only that, he, he stops us from getting to a place where we sit in the seat of scoffers, where we mock and ridicule God, but rather as we dive into this word, we start to see of the magnitude of the God we serve. We realize his grace upon our lives, his deep love for us that is high and wide and and long and and deep. It is just an incredible love that he has for us, and we enjoy it and its riches of it. We are amazed that this holy, holy, holy God would love us with such love that he would come and die for us. We are blown away, and what it does is not lead to scoffing, but worship. There'll be moments as you meditate upon the word of God that you'll find yourself just praising him because he is gracious and good towards you. It stops us from being a person that ends up in that first categories, but rather lives a righteous life. 
And you would not notice this, but the same word that is used for meditation in Psalm 1 is the same word that is used in Psalm 2, verse 1, where it uses the word plot in vain. It says here, why do the nations rage and, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. And, and the word there is the same as meditate. They're pondering, they're thinking, they're going against God. But what is the result? It's failure, it's emptiness, it's vain. But when the righteous do it, when we do it upon God's word, what is the result? It's verse 3. Let us read. It says, but his delight is in the law. Oh, sorry, that's verse 2. <laughs> he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. This, this is a wonderful image. Sometimes the words just don't encapsulate everything or the understanding of it. So sometimes images do that better and the psalmist got that here. This wonderful image of a, a tree that is sturdy, it is strong, it is, it's tall, it is, it is bearing fruit, it, it is, and its roots are deep into this river. And man, one of the words uh, this evening, I, don't, I didn't get to see who said it, but one of the words this evening was just start dabbling in this river a little bit more. Just start going into it, start tasting, start enjoying it. Enjoying God and his word. Just come and come to this river of life. And when we do that, we will be a strong, sturdy tree. And what are the results of this? Let's, let's, we'll briefly go through these three. One, it yields fruit in its season. Your life will have purpose. You will produce fruits. It will not be in vain. There will be a reason for your life. You will do things for God and his kingdom. You will not waste your life. You will not come to the end of it and go, man, I gained much of this world, but it was nothing for the kingdom. You would have gained much for God. Your life would have been uh, bore fruits. We saw this in, see this in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. It's, it says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you in this river. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. All sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. You will be fruitful. The second outcome of this is that the leaf does not wither. It bears fruits and it stays evergreen. Why? Why is that the case? Because its roots are deep in the word of God. It's not getting its joy. It's not getting satisfaction. It's not getting life advice on surface level things. But rather is diving and plunging its roots deep into the word of God. And as a result, when the sun beats down on it, it doesn't matter. Man, when the winds blow hard, harsh winds onto it, it does not matter. When there is drought and there is no rain, it does not matter. Because where it's getting its nutrients is down in this rich river that is running all the time. And as a result, man, this person that dives into this is not, its joy, his life, her strength is not dependent on outward circumstances. We see this wonderfully explained in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2, talking about these people that clearly had this right. It says this, for in a severe test of affliction, a severe test of affliction, not just a semi-affliction, 
like a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. So severe affliction and extreme poverty, yet their abundance of joy have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their parts. They weren't shaped or changed. Their joy still was there regardless of affliction. Again, I don't know your situation, but may I say that if you're going through hardship and your leaf is withering, and your fruit is not bearing, it's probably because your roots are on surface level here. But there's hope that if you are able and willing to sink your roots deep into this word of God, man, you'll find a strength in the midst of affliction that you'll find nowhere else. Not in friends, not in family. While those things are important, there is a strength and a a sturdiness that comes from God's word that will mean that in the midst of affliction, you'll stand strong. Maybe you aren't going through hardship at the moment and things are going great. Work's awesome. You have a girlfriend, a boyfriend, and they're great and they're nice at the moment. Uh, your spouse is treating you nicely. You know, you've just, uh, just things, life is just good. It's peachy. There's Jason Peach over there, sorry. Uh, for those of you who don't know. It's really peachy and things are just great at the moment. Man, I may I encourage you not to wait until affliction comes, but may you get your roots deep into this so that when hardship hits, you are strong and you are sturdy. And, and man, there are, there are people in our church, and Mark has shared about it as he's met with them, that are going through some horrendous things, yet their joy in Christ has brought people to Christ. Their joy and hope in the midst of affliction has brought people to Christ. Why? Because their roots are deep in his word. Don't waste time there. Okay, let's move on. And lastly, what we see here, and this is where we will end off with this, is that in all that he does, he prospers. Doesn't that seem a little naive? In all that he does, he prospers. I mean, we've just spoken about affliction and extreme poverty. We've just read that from Scripture. So how, what does he mean when he talks about, uh, about this? Because it seems contrary to at least the average Christian experience. It seems contradictory even to Scripture. You can see some of these examples um, in, in Psalm 37 and Malachi 30, uh, 3 verse 15. It talks about how, how the evil seem to prosper and get away with it. But when we see in Psalm 44, verse 22, it talks about how the righteous suffered. It even goes as far to say this. It says, yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. So what can he possibly be speaking about here in Psalm 1 when he says, in all that you do, that you will prosper? I think what the psalmist is speaking about here is that he's pointing to a future hope and a future work that God is going to do, and that is primarily through Christ, the Messiah that was to come. And we see an example of this in, 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 in Romans 8, verse 32, and we'll look at verse 35 and 37 as well. It says, He who did not spare his son, he, but gave him up for us, how, uh, how will he not also uh, with him graciously give us all things? So Paul writing here says, if, if God is willing to give us Jesus to come and die for us, how much will he not graciously give us all things? And what does a graciously give us all things mean and look like? Well, he goes on to say a little bit later, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes and tries to answer this question. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. (laughs) 
doesn't seem very prosperous, but he says, we're going to go through that. And he goes and quotes that psalm from Psalm uh, uh, 44 when he says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Now he goes and answers the question and he says, no. And essentially, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He goes, no, in all these things, in all these things, being tribulation and distress and persecution, famine, nakedness, danger and sword. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That even in the midst of trial and hardship, of tribulation and persecution, of danger and sword and famine, even in these mists, God's love, we will not be separated from it. In fact, we will not just not be separated from the love of God, but in these things we will be conquerors. No, more than conquerors through them. For those who are in Christ, we will be more than conquerors through all the hardships that will come our way. So what does that look like? In Romans 8 verse 28, he says, God, you will use all things for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. That even if we go through danger and go through tribulations and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword, that even if we go through these, God in his sovereign grace and his love that we will not be separated from will use that for our good. Man, there have been times in my life, many times, where I've gone, why, Lord? Why have you allowed this to happen? But when I have looked back years down the line in hindsight, I've gone, thank you, Lord, that you allowed that to happen. Graciously uses the hardships of life for our good. Also, it means that there is a future prosperity that is waiting for us. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 to 58. I'm not going to read it, uh, all of it. I just read the end parts. But it says, that he says, yeah, he says, therefore, my brothers, talking about the fact that we have, death has no victory over us because of Jesus' death and resurrection. He says, therefore, uh, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in good, in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That even when you give your life to it, that God will make sure that your labor is not in vain. Some, for, for some of us, that will mean that there is a work that we see on the side of the grave that God uses it for his glory and for the extension of his kingdom. And there is a labor that not in vain. But at other times it might be, man, even if death does come, it doesn't matter because God will make sure that our labor is not in vain on this side of the grave, but also we will receive a reward for it in heaven. This is prosperity that comes. I hope that excites you. And if, I, if it doesn't, I probably didn't explain it well enough, but... There is this incredible, incredible uh, privilege and option for us, for those who are in Christ and who are willing to dive into his word, that we will find a blessed happiness. A blessed happiness that is sturdy, that is sure, that is not dependent on circumstances. And what is required of us is to fall in love with this word, to do it and to meditate upon it. And man, you'll be changed and shaped. And I promise you, you'll find a light not only in this word, but you'll find a happiness that is not dependent on the circumstances of life. It'll be satisfactory. It will not be 